to be asking ourselves, are you washed in the blood? Technical difficulties. All right. Since the beginning of January, we have been considering the, uh, the quest of knowing God. There we go. The quest of knowing God. And the importance of that quest of knowing God, Jesus declared himself in his high priestly prayer for his disciples in John 17, verse 3, where he said, This is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal life, eternal joy, being in the presence of God, is equated to knowing him. Not just knowing about him, remember the oida and the edon, but knowing him, gnosko, a relational knowledge, having knowing God intimately, in an intimate way. And as we have gone on this quest since the beginning of January, we have considered the existence and the exclusiveness of God, that God is, and that he is God alone, that before him there were no gods, neither shall there be any, be, be any after him. He alone is God. We've considered the composition of God, that God is one God, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet God is three persons. God has defined himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, this morning in Sunday school, as we were going through the book of Isaiah, we see that even through the prophet Isaiah, Yahweh has, has revealed himself as Yahweh Shabbat or Yahweh Elohim, the sovereign God, also as Yahweh, and also as Yahweh Ruach, the, 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 the Spirit of God. And that Yahweh declares that now the Yahweh Elohim and his spirit hath sent him. And so that's in Isaiah 48. And so that even within the concept of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the, the concept of the triunity of God was there. In fact, in the, the prophet of Zechariah, Zechariah also um, reveals the triunity of God. So it's not just a New Covenant thing. It's all the way from the Old Covenant as well. And so we saw that he is one God, but yet he is three persons within the Godhead. And Jesus, we're told, was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's an amazing, mind-boggling thing to me. I, um, in fact, on Friday night, we, I finally figured it out, because we always do this addition thing, right? We say, how does 1 plus 1 plus 1 equal 3? I figured it out, right? That it's just a math concept. It's not, because we, we keep thinking addition. It's not addition. God specializes in multiplication, not addition. You see, when, when man's involved, it's always addition, and many were added to him. But when man finally gets out of the way, God multiplies. So what's one times one times one? One. So, so instead of thinking about the one plus one plus one equals three, we need to think multiplication is one times one times one, and it's still what? One. All right, here we go. So the attributes of God we have looked at, we've considered, first of all, his natural attributes, that he is sovereign, that he is unlimited. We talked about that as far as his power, as far as his knowledge, as far as his presence and such. We looked at his vocational attributes, that he is the creator, that he is the, the savior, that he is the judge. We have been considering his moral attributes. Today is the, the final day. There are so many other things that we can look at, but we have looked at the holiness of God. We have looked at the love of God. We have looked at the, the faithfulness of God. We have looked at the righteousness of God. We have looked at the goodness of God. And now we are looking at the fervency of God, the fervency of God. And in, as we looked at each one of those, we have considered different segments. So, for example, under the goodness of God, we saw the mercy of God and we saw the grace of God because those are both comprised within what God, Yahweh, declares as his goodness. That his goodness is declared to us through his mercy and his grace. 
Well, the fervency of God, last week we considered the fact in this definition, that the fervency of God is revealed to us in, in a twofold manner, and that is what we would consider a positive and a negative, but to God it's all one and the same, it's just an expression of it, and that is through zealousness or jeal- and through also through jealousy. And so there is, in the Hebrew, the word kana, which means to be zealous or jealous towards something, to be envious or covetous. And then in the Greek, there is the word zelo'o, which means to be hot or fervent toward, zealous, jealous, envious, covetous. And so you can see in both languages, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, there is one word that comprises both sides of that spectrum. The difference is your motivation. Why are you fervent? Why are you hot with this zeal? If it's, if it's selfish-oriented, more than likely it's what? It's jealousy. It's enviousness, covetousness. That's exactly right. But if it's for a righteous purpose, if you would, it's zeal. It's proper zeal. And so we saw illustrations of those who were jealous and those who were zealous in the Word of God using these same terms. We saw Joseph's brothers um, being jealous. That's the word kana. They were kana of Joseph because of uh, Joseph's favoritist status with his dad. And then we saw Korah and how he was jealous of Moses and the Jewish leaders, how they were jealous, jealous of the apostles, of the attention of the, of the people coming to them, okay? of, of coming to them and, and, and their movement growing. And then we saw, saw the concept of zealousness with Phineas, okay? which we'll talk about him probably a little bit later on again today. But Phineas and how he was, had zeal for the Lord um, because he saw the, the man with the, the Moabitess woman coming in, it might have been an Amorite woman, anyways, um, and coming in and, and doing that which was an abominable. And so he went in with the spear, and he stuck it through the man and stuck it through the woman while they were lying together. And, and, and God declared through Moses that what he had done was, was righteous, because he had great zeal for the Lord. Elijah said, declared about his zeal for the Lord as well. When he was up on the Mount um, Carmel, and he had all the prophets of the Baal there, and all the people of Israel there, he was not in a friendly crowd. Think about it. And yet he stood there with the zeal of the Lord and mocking the, the, the prophets of Baal and saw the, the glory of God revealed on, on Mount Carmel. We saw that the fervency of God is displayed in his zeal for his person, his plan, and finally his people. Okay, That God has a great zeal um, for his own namesake. Okay? For, for that he alone is God and that his plan would be accomplished and that his zeal would accomplish his plan. But also, he has a great zeal for his people as well, that he desires what is best for you, but not only in his zeal for you, but also he has a jealousy for your affection, that he is not willing to share you with another. And so we saw many times where God brought his wrath, if you would, his discipline upon the children of Israel because they had committed idolatry, which was adultery. That's exactly right. They were his betrothed. They were his. They were his bride. And when they turned around to worship other idols, other gods, quote-unquote, which really are not gods, but are just idols, when they would go prostituting themselves, they would go, what the Bible calls, a whoring after these things, God would, would come and he would discipline them because he said they were his and his alone. And so we, we talked about the properness of this jealousy at this moment. That there is a good jealousy 
a godly jealousy and there is an ungodly jealousy. Okay? And the difference is, um, it's okay for my wife, if you would, to talk to other people, but it's not okay for her to do what? Be hanging all over them. Does that make sense? Having an intimate relationship with them. That becomes ultimately wrong. And so we talked about the fact of you know, walking in the back room and seeing your spouse in that kind of situation. Well, think about God then. You know, if you understand walking into the back room and seeing your spouse having an improper relationship with somebody and the rage that you would feel at that moment, think about what God feels like when he comes into the room, quote-unquote, and you're having that improper relationship with another God. Now, we would like to say today's day that um, we don't have those other gods. We don't have the, you know, we don't live in the, the, um, the South East Asia where they have all the, the, the Hindu shrines and the, the Buddhist um, idols and stuff like that. And so we're not like that at all. But I, just as a reminder to you, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve two gods, you cannot serve God and mammon, which is the things that money buys, which in our day today we would refer to it as materialism. You cannot serve God and materialism. Okay? That brings it into our court now, because that's not an idol. It is an idol, but it's not a physical thing that we look at. Today we want to look at the application of God's fervency. How does God's fervency apply to us? And as we have looked at that through each of these um, moral attributes, we have looked, first of all, at the fact that this attribute of God should provoke us with a desire to, to worship him. And so, in the same way here, the consideration of God's fervency, God's zealousness, God's jealousy, his fervency, should provoke us with a desire to worship him. Now, we want to move on into the next phase, but I want to spend time here for a moment. How can looking at God's fervency, specifically even thinking of his jealousy, provoke you to worship. What is there in that to worship God? That's exactly right. His fervency for me, for, for us, but you individually ought to be able to say his fervency for, for me. This whole concept of this quest that we're talking about, this is life eternal, that they may what? Know you. God desires to have an intimate relationship with you. And he is not willing to share you with another. Ladies, the best illustration I can, I can, I can give is um, you women know if, you're, if your husband has an eye toward another. Yes? If, if their eyes are ever distracted, you kind of have that sense. How does it make you feel? Good. I know the other women are going to say, how does it make you feel? Betrayed. 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 Okay. It's, it's not the feeling that, 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 that they want. Okay. But how do you feel, ladies, when you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your husband only has an eye, only has the eye for you? Now, how do you feel? Secure. Secure? Do you feel treasured? Do you feel like what First Peter three says that men ought to be treating their husbands, or husbands ought to be treating their wives like, like the cherished vase, like the cherished vessel? You know, the weaker vessel who should be cherished. There are 
there ought to be this desire, this recognition that we feel this way toward God. Now, how do you feel about your relationship with your husband at that point? You feel secure. You feel treasured, right? Now, how do you, how do you respond in your relationship to your husband? Gratitude, good, okay. Joy. How about adoration? Is there any kind of adoration involved in that? Now, in a low level, now, I'm, here what I'm going to say now, okay, because it's going to sound like, oh, you're being her- her- heresy here. In a low-level form, there's almost worship. Does it make sense? In Ephesians chapter 5, women are told to not just submit, but to reverence, to honor their husbands. 1 Corinthians 11 says that, that the head of Christ is God, the head of man is Christ, and the head of woman is man. So, in a sense, I'm not saying that I expect Marcia to... to to get on her knees and, and worship me. Okay? That's not the concept. But in a sense, there is this form of adoration that we give toward a leader who treats us with, say again, not just respect, value, but um, inte- uh, my mind just went, um, with a trust. You know he's not going to turn, he's not going anyplace else. Fidelity. Is, is integrity, fidelity. That there's a fidelity in the relationship. I mean, think about that. In days past, take this to a, to a, a totally non-one-on-one um, relationship. In days past, there was a loyalty that people had toward c- companies. That they would work for that company all their life. Why? That's exactly right. Because the company was loyal, had great fidelity to the worker. Do you get it? We love God because he first loved us. Do you you, you get it? This reciprocal thing that's going on here. And so God has great fidelity towards you. He is not willing to share you with anyone else. He has no eyes, if you would, for anyone but you. Does that make sense? There's a jealousy that he has in early. He wants to have this relationship with you. He wants to have this intimacy with you. So did you come to him? Or did he come to you? He came to you. You trusted and believed. But apart from him coming to you, by his grace, you have no opportunity to come to him. That ought to provoke within me a great amount of worship before him. But also toward his person in his plan. Listen, God's plan will be fulfilled. Why? Because his zeal will perform it. I should be thankful for the zeal that God has. The chutzpah, the, okay, that causes him to be faithful to do what he said that he would do. Many of us have great intentions, but we lack what? Great zeal. <laughs> Do you get it? And we have dreams. We have high thoughts. We think this would be awesome, but we lack the zeal to perform it. God doesn't lack that zeal. He is hot and fervent for the things that he has planned. And you 
get to play a special part in that. I mean, think about it. If God was not hot and fervent for his plans, but he told you that Christ was going to come again and receive you unto himself, that where he is, there you may be also, would you have any confidence that that might even happen? He may change his mind, maybe through more. He may not change his mind even. It's not even a matter of change, changing his mind. He just keeps putting it off. He just keeps delaying it because he just he doesn't have a, he doesn't really have a zeal for it. I mean, it's just I mean, you know, yeah, it'd be a great idea. I think I think it's a wonderful thing. It'd be nice to have you with me. I'd rather play Mario Kart. You know, what if God's zeal was like our zeal? But it's not. God's zeal is to the fullness, and that ought to provoke us. To worship him. But let's look, here's where we want to spend more time this morning, is the consideration of God's fervency should provoke our desire to reflect him. As God is fervent toward his person, as he is fervent toward his plan, and as he is fervent or zealous toward his people, so ought we. We should desire to reflect his zeal for his person. Turn with me to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, verse 17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. The word envy there is our word, kana. And you can see that it says be zealous is in the italicies. You see that in your Bible? That's because it's not there. Okay? But what's happening in, in this proverb is that there is this um, parallelism that's being drawn. Okay? So the same word is being used. Don't be kana for sinners, rather for the fear of the Lord. Do you get it? Okay. So there's an analogy. There's 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 a discussion happening here of what you're supposed to be kana for, fervent for, zealous for, jealous for. You're not supposed to be jealous of the things that sinners have, but you're supposed to be zealous for Yahweh, for the fear of Yahweh, the yari. And you know what the word yari means in Hebrew? Fear. means terror. Yeah, exactly right. Is that cl- close to that in Arabic? Is there a word close to that in Arabic? No? no? Okay, and it, it just means to be, to, be, to be a terrified of. And we say, no, well, this is an Old Testament con- concept. Well, why then does Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, and if you brought that back into the Hebrew, it would be fear of the Lord. Therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, I persuade men. Paul, the, the one who preached grace, Listen, the fear of Yahweh is still out there, and you need to be zealous for the person of God, for the fear of the Lord. And so you need to be having this, this great desire for who he is, being jealous and zealous for God. Okay, And so that's in opposition to who? The people of the world. Where then will be the seat of the zeal? Where will be the seat of the zeal? In your heart. That's exactly right. In your heart. We use that term so many times about your heart's got to be in it. Your heart's got to be in it. 
And yet, when we come to God, sometimes we think we forget about it. But God said what? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then strength as well. And so we're supposed to have this great zeal for his person. Turn with me to Numbers 25. Numbers chapter, chapter, chapter 25. Numbers 25, beginning verse 10. This is the passage of Phineas, which we talked about a little bit earlier. It says, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I... Give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Phineas is stated to have to be zealous with whose zeal? God's zeal. He was zealous with God's zeal. And what was he zealous for? For God. And so what happens as a result of, of Phineas having, being zealous with the zeal of God for, for, for the person of God? He made atonement for the children of Israel. That was, that was specific to that occasion. But what happened? The plague stopped. That was the atonement. The plague stopped. That's specific. That was, a, that was an effect upon the people around them. Okay? Ah, God blessed him. God gave, you know, we're, we're talking specific here with the everlasting covenant, but gener- generally speaking, God blessed him. God blessed him for having a zeal for God. Sometimes we haven't really got a grip on the blessings of God because we've never had a zeal for God. We expect God to bless us when we're zealous for everything else but him. If you had to analyze your life right now, you're making yourself a list of five to ten, the things that you are hot and fervent for right now in your life. And you were honest, knowing that God was going to come down and strike you dead if you lied, you know, that this was going to be an Ananias and Sapphira moment, that, that if you held back, you slipped in a little bit, he was, going to, he, was going to, he was going to rake you over the coals and you were going to be dead right now. Boom! And everybody would know you lied. Okay? So write it down and be honest. Okay? Don't you know, tell everybody, though, this would be really nice, okay? Where would God be on the list of the things that you are fervent, fervently looking after right now? Would he be in the top five? Would he make it to the top three? He should be number one. Sam Bradford, I was thinking about this this morning um, because I saw um, that Sam Bradford had signed a, uh, a contract with the, the um, Indianapolis Colts. No, no, St. Louis Rams. $50 million guaranteed. Can you imagine this? $50 million. It's just nutso. Guaranteed. Whether he plays a game or not. This is football. For some of you who don't know who Sam Bradford is, he was a quarterback for University of Oklahoma. This should be exciting to you. There you go. Okay. I mean, okay. Why somebody would pay a University of Oklahoma guy that much? I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, he's well worth it. Anyways, but whether he plays a game or not, he's guaranteed $50 million. Now, now that's a side subject. That's just mind-boggling what we're doing in our world. But Sam Bradford 
in his counterpart from the University of Texas, which is what to Oklahoma? Anathema? Um, <laughs> is accursed? I mean, it would, nothing, because yeah, they're, they're nobodies. Anyways, yeah, okay. we don't even acknowledge them. Anyways, Texas and Oklahoma are just like, just bitter enemies and rivals, right? Colt McCoy was the quarterback for the University of Texas. He's a believer. Sam Bradford was the quarterback for the University of Oklahoma. He's a believer. And I don't know if you know this or not, he's probably still out there on YouTube. The two of them, um, a year or two ago, when there was always debate about who was number one, they put out a, a video entitled, I'm number two. And it goes back between the two of them coming back. And number one is God. I'm number two. That's pretty cool stuff. Now, the reality is, or, or, or the real question is, is that really the reality? Not necessarily in Sam Bradford's life and Colt McCoy's life, but what about us? It's cool to put a, a video out in the state that's the world. But do you know the video that everybody's really going to believe? The one that they're watching in real life. That's exactly right. Not the one they're watching on a computer where you just kind of stated, but how you're living it out. Phineas lived it out. Phineas was filled with righteous indignation for the holiness and person of God when he saw the Israelite man flaunt before God and his people that illicit relationship. And he went in with a spear and he killed them. And God declared that he was blessed. Now I'm not saying go out and start killing people. Okay? What I am saying is we need to have that kind of zeal for God. Does it bother you? Does it really bother you? I mean, does it really, really, really bother you when you hear someone use Jesus' name in vain? When they abuse God? It should almost make you... I mean. How would you like it if they used your wife's name or your husband's name like that? What about your mama? You know when they said your mama wears army boots? Now they couldn't tell it to my kids because she did. And, um, and we can't wait for the, them to have kids. And they say, your grandmother wears army boots. Not anymore. Anyways, um, she did, but she got past that. Anyways. But do you understand what I'm saying? When, when, when someone starts talking about your mama or your, or, your, or your spouse like that or your kids, you know, all of a sudden we have this what? This rage that builds up within us? You can't talk about my kin like that. Well, what about God? It's okay to trash God though, right? If you were saved by his blood, if you're saved by his grace, then he's done more for you. He's brought more joy in your life, or should have, than any individual on the face of this earth. So, a zeal for his person. We should desire to reflect his zeal. Oh, wait, I want to go back. Because there's a, there's a warning here, and I, and I forgot this warning here. We need to be careful of our motives, because this zeal can be misguided. Now, we're not going to look at all these, but turn with me to Romans 2 real quick, and you can look at these others. Because I want to, I want to warn us, because in, in each one of these, because there, again, is the proper zeal in an improper zeal. What did I say? Romans 2, Romans 10. Romans 10, verse 2. I'm sorry. I'll blame it on the dyslexia that I don't have. Romans 10, verse 2. 
I'm going to start at verse 1 for context. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to what? Knowledge. They don't know Him. Verse 3, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of, of God. Do you get it? You can have a misguided zeal for God. Ben? It's Gnosko. Yeah. They, I'll confirm that later. Remind me, okay? And I'll confirm it for you. But I, I remember studying it in the past, and, and I'm almost willing to say 99.5% sure that it's, it's Gnosko. It is it's epigenosis, yeah. And so, in fact, epigenosis is a form of Gnosko that is more intense because epi is the, is the um, prefix um, coming from the um, preposition, meaning on, no, no, on, like the epicenter of something. So, like, to be on, focused on. And so, to be epigenosis would mean really focal, focal, intimate knowledge. Okay, so it's a really intense, intimate knowledge. And so, yeah, so, and so the problem is, they have this zeal for God, or what appears to be a zeal for God, but they're not doing it according to knowing him. They don't know him. They know a lot about him, but they want to do it according to their own ways. And so, my warning to you, and you can look at these other ones that are on your sermon note sheets having to do with Paul. Paul saying, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, I was blameless. In other words, he had a zeal for God, and his zeal for God, because he didn't know God, his zeal for God led him to do what? Persecute those who did. Interesting, isn't it? And so Jesus said to the disciples in the beginning of John chapter 16, I think, this is either John 15 or John 16, where he tells them in the very beginning of the chapter, he says, listen, when you're going to go out there, and they're going to what? They're going to persecute you, but when they do it, they're going to be thinking that they're doing me a favor. They're going to think they're going to be serving God and doing it. So be careful. I want to challenge you. Today could be the day of your salvation. I look out and I say, okay, everybody's saved. Everybody knows God. I don't know your relationship. It may be that you've been playing the game. That you have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. If it is, repent and change. Secondly, then, his zeal for, a zeal for his plan, that we should reflect his zeal for his plan, so which means that I should have a zeal for the plan of God as well. Turn to John chapter 2. John 2, as we see Jesus in... Now, I understand that this is Jesus, this is God in the flesh, and it's very hard to use Jesus as an illustration for me, right? I mean, just because Jesus did it doesn't mean I can do it, because I'm just a mortal man and he was really God in the flesh. But Jesus said, if anybody wants to be his what? Disciple... You need to what? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Jesus said, if you are his disciples, that you will abide in his word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think that being a disciple of Jesus, that I should look at what Jesus did and seek to emulate it. That's exactly right. And do it. And so, in John 2, we see um, down at... um, Verse 17, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, 
what's the context, though? So let's start at verse 13. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to the Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of the cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, I am going to become very unpopular. I, I, I like being unpopular. I like being weird. You know, a lot of times we, we see the counterpart of this where Jesus says, you know, you've made my house a, a den of thieves. And so we interpret this merely as that, that they were in the exchanging of the money, in, in, in the selling of the, the, the doves and the sacrifices and such, that the people were doing what? They were cheating. They were making a profit. They were using unrighteous weights, okay? You know, according to Proverbs. But what Jesus says here has nothing to do with that. He has everything to do with what? Making the house a house of merchandise, making it, a, if you would, a store, a business. The American church. That's exactly right. Coffee shops in the church. But we're raising the money for missions. We're... we're, we're, we're we're, we're, we're selling the donuts so that the youth group can go to Mexico. For a donation of $20, we'll send you this gift. This book is a gift. Folks, that's called selling. If I'm only going to give you the book, if you give me $20... I've sold it to you. That cheapens the gift of God's grace because now we teach people that even God doesn't give a gift because he's got a string attached because you've got to pay God. You don't have to pay God. People want me to write books. I want to write books. I want to put stuff out there. The five years of summer programs, one day we'll have it all put together in booklets and everything and put it out there. But you know what? I don't want to do it until I can do it for free. I love the internet. I can put it on the internet. I can do it all for free. Freely you have received. Freely give. The, the, the Prima Principle. It's going to be one of the first books out there. Is it mine? It's not mine. How can I sell it? It's God's message. It's from His Word. How do you sell God's Word? I hate that you got to go buy a copy of the Bible. And for big bucks too. This is ridiculous. You're going to sell God's word? How do you sell God's word? We ought to have a zeal for the things of God, for the plans of God, for the ways of God. It ought to drive us bonkers when we see people abusing God for their own devices. Sorry. Told you. It's just I hate it. I hate hearing radio preachers selling God's message. It just drives me bonkers. If God wants you to proclaim that message, what will He do? He'll help you do it for free, even if it means you got to what sacrifice and maybe work so you can proclaim the message. I can say that now, right? So, 
Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I don't mean that pridefully. I really don't. But as I, I met with a, an assistant pastor, a guy who was an assistant pastor at a different church years ago. He was in my youth group years before that. Tells you how old I am. Isn't it awful when somebody was in your youth group who has now been in the pastorate for years and you're counseling with them? Anyways, and this was years ago <laughs> that I even talked to him. And I asked him a question. First of all, whose church is it? Because he was contemplating whether to move or not. And I asked him, whose church is it? And he looked at me and said, well, it's pastor's church. And I said, well, that's the first problem. It's supposed to be God's. I said, but at least you know whose it is. So, you know, we go from, we'll start, start from there. So if what he says goes, then that at least it's because of the foundation. I said, the second question is, are you a hireling or a shepherd? And he said, ouch. And what's the difference? And I said, the difference is, would you be doing what you're doing if you're not getting paid to do it? But if you're only doing it because you're getting paid to do it, then you're a hireling. A shepherd will do it because he has a love for the sheep. I, I understand this one, okay? I mean, I, I, mean it, I struggle with this one. A zeal for the Lord will consume you so that it's not a matter of whether you're getting any reward for it at all. But because you are so fired up for God that you want to see his plan, his purposes manifold. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? Then all these things will be added unto you. Again, you make that short list. Where is God on that list of things that you're fervent for? Are you fervent for the kingdom of God? Are you fervent for proclaiming his, his plan? Listen, it's exciting. We had somebody come out because of going door to door on Wednesday night. We had two ladies show up because of going out over in the Haley and Prescott area a couple weeks ago. Okay, When we went out this past week over the other way behind Mainers, we had a couple of us had great conversations at doors be able to pray for people. We don't know how God's going to use those things, but we need to have a great zeal for the plan of God, and that includes his plan of salvation, that's going to cause us to go forth and to proclaim his message. Next Sunday night, we're going to go out again, and we're actually going to go to your neighborhood, Bob. We're actually going to go to your neighborhood next week, yeah. And, uh, and so we'll go to Fall Line Drive and Murray Avenue and, and down into whatever that's called, Timber, what, Timber Lakes? Timber Ridge. Timber Ridge. And uh, to distribute tracts and stuff at that point. I want to challenge you to have a zeal for the plan of God. But again, the, the uh, warning is out there. We need to be careful of our motives because the zeal can become misguided. Turn to James 3 with me. James chapter 3. James three thirteen to 16. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness, the word means mildness, in the meekness or mildness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, okay, and our word zealous is there, that's envy, and the word bitter actually can be referred to as being acrid or caustic. Okay? So, accurate or caustic would be what? 
acidic kind of, okay? So do you, do you see the analogy that's being made here? Look back at the end of verse 13. That his works are done in the mildness, think, think salsas here, okay? In the mildness of wisdom. But if you have the what? The hot sauce of zeal, okay? Or, or jealousy. And self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. So, what's being stated? There can be a zeal for the things of God, or what appears to be for the what? The things of God, the plans of God. Okay, Think about it. When, when churches divide, normally what causes the division? Zeal. People who have a zeal for something. And it may be the color of the carpet, because they want to glorify God and being having the carpet pink or the carpet being green. Okay? I know it's being silly. But usually, a lot of times, it's because of zeal for the doctrine. Right? Zeal for polity. Zeal for plans. Zeal for goals. Zeal for the stewardship of God's money. And we all couch it for God. Because some say they're of Paul, some say they're of Apollo, some say they're of Cephas, but some say they're of Christ. That's me. That's me. I'm of Christ. And you may be following somebody else, but clearly I have the what? The right stuff. I've got the right opinion. It's, you know, I'm the one who's godly here. And so in my zeal, I will not what? Yield at all. But we're told that that this kind of zeal really descends from where? Comes up from the pit. That's exactly right. It's not from God. And we have got to make sure and check our motives of whether we are truly zealous for God or whether we're zealous for ourselves. And so let's use our illustration of going out and knocking on doors. Are we doing it because we're really zealous for the kingdom of God? And all we want is to see this, the kingdom of God expanded. Or are we doing it because we're zealous for the kingdom of Bob? Or put your own name in there. The kingdom of Family Bible. So that Family Bible Church grows. And we're well known in the area. And people say, wow, that's that church. Now, there's a balance. We want to be able to minister to people. I understand that. But if our zeal is proper, then I'm not going out there to see people merely come to Family Bible Church. I want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. I want to see them enter into the kingdom of God. And if God chooses, by his grace, to allow them to fellowship here and for us to have the privilege of discipling them, then praise God. But if God chooses by his grace to use us as the seeds, as the sower, as the planter, as the tiller, as the waterer, as the fertilizer, or whatever step in there, but I'm not the one who what? Plucks it. Yeah, plucks the fruit, eats of the fruit. But somebody else winds up coming in, who's, if you remember when we talked about this last week, that there is the statistics and stuff, I guess, you know, thrown out, that basically people who get saved 
not as a child, but in their adulthood, it takes basically 18 contacts of interactions with them, okay? And so you may want be number 13, you may be number 5, you may be number 8, okay? Assuming that everybody takes 18. If you're number 18, that's a great thing, isn't it? You walk up and you're number 18 and the fruit falls into your hand and you go, wow, this is incredible. You're not thinking about all the other people who have been, who've been tilling the soil and fertilizing it and watering it and doing all the other work and they don't even know. But we may be the ones doing that. But you know what? If we're fervent for the things of God, then it doesn't matter. Because wherever God chooses to send them, praise God for that. Our job is to what? To go out in the fervor of the Lord with his word to proclaim his truth to people who need to hear it. Some water, some sow, but God gives the increase. Finally, under this section of desiring to reflect him, his, his zeal for his, his people. We have to have a, a zeal for his people. Turn with me to, to Romans 12. I just want you to know that it wasn't nice leaving that back door open while I'm preaching. Ah, I smell that food wafting in. I feel bad for y'all sitting right next to that door open. I'll tell you, that, that's just, whew, this isn't right. I'm going to start losing people. Everybody's going to go back there eating. <laughs> just if you do, bring me a plate. Anyways, but you know, if you start doing that and you're bringing plates in and you're eating, that means I get to preach longer, right? <laughs> All right, Romans 12, verses 10 and 11. As long as I'm not eating? <laughs> no, I can, I can eat a little bit of it. Anyways, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent, zealous, in spirit, serving the Lord. Be kindly affectionate, verse 10 says, to one another with what kind of love? Brotherly love. How, how am I going to show that? By, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in what? Diligence. But being what? Fervent. You get it? We understand we're supposed to love one another, don't you? I mean, don't you get it? I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? By this, all men will what? Will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We all know. You can quote it. You know it. But Paul's got to come back and say what? You got to do it. You've you got to do it. In, in, in doing it, in having this love for one another, it really is you're going to be what? Having the mind of Christ, and you're going to give preference to one another. And, and honestly, this is going to be counter to, to the way you think. Because you want to give preference to who? Yourself. And so this is going to take great what? Diligence. And that diligence is going to require you to be very fervent in the Spirit. Serving God. I want to emulate or reflect the zeal that God has for his people. We've already talked about this earlier. We love him because he first loved us. Think of the zeal that God has for you. That's the zeal that you're supposed to have for me and everybody else here. And others who are believers that not necessarily are in this room. But just use this small little group right now. Just think, 
If everybody in this room had great zeal for one another, great zeal for you, and you didn't have great zeal for you, but you had great zeal for everyone else in this room, how many people would be looking after you? Everybody. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? But how many if everybody's having great zeal for themselves? Just one. And I know how pitiful I am. And so if it's only my own diligence I'm counting on, I'm, I'm in a world of hurt. But in serving the Lord with great zeal, I want to have then great zeal toward those whom he loves. And that's you. And so I need to have a desire to, to serve you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Because this is an important passage. Because that great zeal that I have for you doesn't mean just referring to your physical needs. But rather, it's referring to your spiritual needs as well. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians, beginning of chapter 11, I'll begin at verse 1. He says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous, zealous, for you with godly jealousy or zealousness, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which whom you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul says, I'm not only zealous for you physically, for your physical needs, but more importantly, I'm zealous for you for your spiritual state, for your doctrinal position. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I want to see you grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to see you have a proper doctrine. This is now Bob speaking. This is my heart. This is why I do what I do. It would be very easy to say there's plenty of churches in the area, and we don't need another one. I struggle with that at times. It would be a whole lot easier to not pastor, but just go join one of these bigger churches. But I feel like Paul sometimes, where the, the love of Christ constrains me. I hate seeing the church suck up into Americana business mentality. And my goal and my desire and my vision for every man here, along with the young men, is that you all are pastors and shepherds of people, influencers of influencers, with a proper doctrine, a proper truth, a a true Jesus, a true gospel, a true spirit. Isn't it amazing how people come knocking on your door and they want to talk to you about Jesus? It ain't the same Jesus. My Jesus was never the brother of the archangel Michael. Who are those? Jehovah's Witnesses. Mormons think he's the brother of Satan. That's exactly right. My Jesus is not the brother of Satan. They don't have the same Jesus. Do you get it? They may come talking about Jesus. It's not the same Jesus. And I'm very honest with them. You're workers of the devil. 
They love hearing it. Huh? I said, either you are or I am, because we don't have the same Jesus. We don't have the same gospel, and we don't have the same spirit. The Bible says that you are a minister of, of, of the devil. And if you're not, I am, because I certainly don't understand what Paul was teaching there, and I certainly don't understand what Jesus was talking about. But since you have a different book than I do, and I'm standing on this one, I got the, I, I'll, I'll take the, the, uh, the benefit of the doubt here that I'm standing on God's word, and you're standing on Joseph Smith's word. You get it? You've got to have a zeal. A zeal for God and for his people. Do you really care if everybody in this room has a proper doctrine? Now understand, there's a warning again that we can become divisive. And you can go to Galatians 4 later on and you can see the Judaizers, how the Judaizers were trying to, to bring those who believed in grace back into, under the law. And they did it because they had great zeal, okay? And they wanted the, 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 those who were believers to be brought back and to have great zeal for their misguided doctrine. And so you can have great zeal in a misguided way for people as well in this doctrine. And so my challenge to you is to make sure that you know that undoubtedly that your doctrine is based upon the Word of God. There are many, quote-unquote, gray areas I don't think they're gray. I think that there's a I think there's a line, and God knows the line that He has with each individual. But clearly, Paul talks about them in Romans chapter 14, where he says that one man esteems one day higher than another, where this one esteems a different day. They're both going to stand before who? Before their before their master, and they're going to give an account. One won't eat meat. One does eat meat. Who's right? Who's wrong? Paul says it doesn't matter. They're standing before the Lord on their own. Do you understand? You better make sure when you start going out trying to make proselytes to your particular flavor that you're standing upon the truth of God's word. It's okay to have standards beyond. Understand that? I mean, I think that's important. I think it's important to to take the word of God and apply it. But you've got to be careful. This is what made the Pharisees the Pharisees. No longer were they making people, trying to make people proselytes to the word of God and to God's truth. They were trying to make them proselytes to their own traditions. Do you understand? You have to have a zeal for God. A jealousy for who he is. To be jealous for his name. Jealous for his plan. Jealous for his people. It saddens me when I hear people who would rather hang out with the world than hang out with the people of God. I don't get it. I don't get it. What's the object of your fervency? Are you fervent for the things of man or the things of God? Again, if you made that short list, where's God? Where's God on that list of the things that you are hot for? Are you jealous regarding your time with God? What is it that can distract you from spending time with him? The newspaper? You bring in the newspaper and all of a sudden you don't have time reading God's word because you're just reading the, the words of man? Music? Family? Work? Sleep? What are the things that you're fervent for? We need to be fervent for God. Now in 1 Corinthians 10, we, this is our, our reading from this morning. 
as we transition toward communion, we're told about this zeal of God. I don't know if you remember reading it, it's when we were there, but we're going to begin at verse 14 of looking at this again real quickly. It says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. What was idolatry again? Well, materialism to us, okay? But it was God's people serving other gods, okay? Serving idols. And what kind of reactions does God have to that? He hates it. He becomes what? Very jealous. And in his jealousy, he pours out his wrath. Okay? So, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless. We're getting ready to participate in communion. Now, I understand in our culture today, we're afraid of passing around one chalice and and sipping off the same chalice, just lest somebody might have something that I don't want to get. Okay, so we have teeny weeny chalices in plastic that we can throw away because we're eco-friendly. Anyways, uh, <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Um, yeah, that's right. Growing up, actually, the church we had, I, I attended, we had glass ones, and, and we had ladies one, and they washed them every week. But we had individual ones, so we didn't have to share the same chalice. The cup of blessing, this is it, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Now, it's hard for me because it's already been broken, but I can at least pick up a piece of broken one, right? The bread which we break. Is it not communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread in one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe, Israel, after the flesh, are not those who eat of the sacrifice partakers of the altar? And the answer is what? Yes. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or that what is offered to idols is anything? And the answer is no. No, I mean, in the Greek, there are ways to state things expecting a yes and things expecting a no. This one was a no. No, an idol is nothing. It's nothing. It's not real. It's not really a god. It's nothing. And so, therefore, that which is offered to them, it really isn't anything. It's nothing. Except for what? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. Do you get it? It's to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have koinonia, fellowship, with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share, participate of the Lord's bread or the Lord's table in the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Drop down to chapter 11, verse 27. And I'm dropping past the part where Paul talks about the New Covenant stuff. But he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment, condemnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, or really that means what? Are dead. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Now, one more passage I want to share before we take some time to pray. First John 5, 20 21. This is incredible. I mean, this is John. Now, this is not Paul. That was Paul we just read in First Corinthians. But this is John. 
John is totally different. He's the one whom, the, whom Jesus what? Loved, right? And so all of his writings are always about love, you know, with love of God and stuff. But look what he says. This is how he ends his entire epistle here, right? He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Why? That we may know him who is true. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? John 17, verse 3. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Now, his last statement, before he closes it off, Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. I mean, this whole thing in chapter 5, he's talking about, you know, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And then he goes on with that, talking about the, 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 the Trinity, and he says, and we know that the Son of God has come for one purpose, so that we what? We would know him that is true. And then at the very end of all this thing, he makes one statement. Keep yourself from idols. Because if you really love him, if you really know him, you're not going to want anything to do with anything but God. You're going to have such a fervency for God, such a zeal for him, that these things, you're not going to want any part of them. Why? Because you understand that God is a jealous God, and he's not willing to share you with another. If I really loved my wife, if, now honestly, I mean, I, I don't love my wife with a full agapao love that God has called me to love her with. I wish I did. I would be a liar if I stood here and said to you, it is just, it's, it's fully there. I know it's not. And I know that I don't love God with a full agapao love that he calls me to. I would be a liar if I said I was. I'm continually growing in that. I know what God desires for me to have, and I am seeking to press toward the mark to get there. By his grace, by his, by his cleansing, by his mercy. But if I loved her so much like, I mean, I loved her like Christ loved the church. I mean, like literally like Christ loved the church. And there was no selfishness in Bob at all. And if you know me, there, you know there is, right? If all that was totally eradicated and I really loved her, really, fully, like Christ loved the church, could you imagine her ever desiring anything but me? Or me desiring anything but her? It just wouldn't make sense. We're getting ready to participate in communion. A remembrance of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Looking toward his return. Sharing the, 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 the fourth cup of blessing with us where we will, he will be our God and we will be his people. The question as we go into this time of prayer beforehand, to challenge you as I challenge myself with, I have the, 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 the little bit of the blessing of knowing what I'm going to preach on coming into Sunday, so I'm I'm already meditating on it and flogging myself and beating myself over this stuff. What kind of fidelity do I have in my relationship with God? Does God need to be jealous in his relationship with me? How how zealous am I for him in the relationship that I have with him? What am I willing to let come in between? How high on that list is, is he? 
Those are things that I challenge you to go before the Lord with. Cleanse your heart before God. Ask, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And as we then participate together in this communion, that it would be one accord of people who are zealous for the name of God. Let's pray.